We're crazy for Swayze. Gonna watch everything he made. We're crazy for Swayze. Then we'll talk about it. We're crazy for Swayze. Gonna watch everything he made. We're crazy for Swayze. Then we'll talk about it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Crazy for Swayze. I'm your host, Vince Troya, and I'm joined today, as always, with by my co-host, Josh Young. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Fuck, yeah, you're doing well. All we did today is we watched music videos. We did. I watched a few movies, but you watched music videos with me, and that was wonderful. Did you find any new uh, bands or songs or anything like that that uh, impressed you while we were watching? No. Oh. Oh. Yeah. I'm not impressed by hardcore music and big riffs. Well, we weren't just listening to hardcore music and big riffs. You were also listening to the new Pup songs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm including that in our experience. Well, that's not new. Everybody loves Pup. Yeah, yeah, okay. I love their music videos, though. I think that they're really creative and that all their music videos are like something I haven't necessarily seen before. Like, I've seen them, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, but not like from a band. Yeah, yeah. It's they've, they've been very lucky to be able to collaborate with some extremely talented directors and come up with some very cool concepts. Yeah, and the low-budget aspect of it, like, it's, everything's a little bit low-budget. Strikes me as, like, makes it more authentic. Yeah. Yeah, I, it seems more attainable. Like, it's like, oh, why aren't people doing this, you know? Dude. I hear that. I like it a lot. Yeah, you should. If you're if you're a full time artist, you should be. Yeah, I think that that is one of the coolest things about uh, being a producer of art in Canada is that if you apply in a specific sw- situation, you know, like as your profession, you can get like grants and shit like that. Yeah, and it's just because the government recognizes art as something that's important that you should be proud to produce yeah and uh collaboration's important amongst artists and like money isn't the most important thing when you're making art it's connecting with people and making people feel like their lives are worth living yeah and like that's that's cool yeah it's the fucking coolest (laughs) you don't have to worry like oh how is this music video gonna make me money because you don't need it to speaking of making money that's something that film producers have to worry about all the time right Mm -hmm. yep and that's why we've chosen the player for this week's installment of Crazy for Swayze. Have you heard anything about the player, Josh? I did a quick uh, Wikipedia. Yeah? How did you feel how did you feel about what you read? Uh, it's interesting that it was it's like a it's kind of a small production, but it's got all these cameos in it, right? Yes, yes. So I've bought the Criterion Collection Blu-ray version of this film. It's currently also streaming on HBO if you wanted to check it out and watch it with us. But the back of the Blu-ray states, A Hollywood studio executive with shaky moral compass finds himself caught up in a criminal situation that would be right at home in one of his movie projects. In this biting industry satire from Robert Altman, mixing elements of film noir and sly insider comedy, the player based on the novel by Michael Tolkien functions as both a nifty stylish murder story and a commentary on its own making and it's stacked with a heroic supporting cast and a lineup of star cameos that make this astonishing hollywood who's who 
So I'm excited, man. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, satire. Yeah, it's it, it it sounds like it's going to be a very exciting, very funny film. And uh, judging by the cast that I've uh, you know like found in the research and the director, like I'm a, I'm dude, I'm really I'm really excited about this. Alt man. Yeah. So this came out on uh, May eighth, nineteen ninety two. It's rated R. It's 124 minutes long. It's Swayze's 14th film, right after Point Break and right before City of Joy, right? It's directed by Robert Altman. He did Gosford Park, Long Goodbye, Nashville, Shortcuts, and The MASH movie. I've never seen any of those movies. Well, I've seen MASH, and that is silly. But it was a, a big big cast collaboration, you know, because all, all the soldiers. And uh, I think that that is going to play into his directing of all of the different characters in this film. Because, like I said, there's lots of cameos in this. And it's supposed to have the, uh, the highest number of Academy Award winning actors in this film of all films. Wow. Yeah. Still. Yeah. Yeah. It's something like 13 and that's including Sidney Pollack. Hmm. Yeah. That's a lot. Dude. It's a stunning cast. It stars Tim Robbins, Greta Schiaki from Emma and Rasputin, Fred Ward from Tremors, Whoopi Goldberg's back, so we're on Whoopi Goldberg Watch. Whoopi Watch. Whoopi Watch. We've got Vince D'Onofrio, Richard E. Grant, Sidney Pollack, Lyle Lovett, Jeremy Piven, and our boy Brian James. I was just thinking that I don't know who Jeremy Piven is the you, other day. You don't know who Jeremy Piven is? It seems like I should know who he is, but I was trying to draw his face into my mind while I was listening to another podcast, and I just couldn't. Well, he's on Entourage. Okay. Do you, do you know who I'm talking about now when I say that? Nope. All right. Is he Marky Mark? No, he's not Marky Mark. He is also in Gross Point Blank. Yeah, that seems right. It, he is the guy that uh, is selling all the real estate that hangs out with Martin Blank. Okay. Uh, he's in Say Anything. Okay, okay. As one of the guys that hangs out at the convenience store getting drunk, but he's the one that comes up and screams at Lloyd immediately when they walk into the party at, at the one guy. At, uh, fucking... I wish I had never seen any of these movies. Why? I don't know. Say Anything is an amazing movie. I kind of hate it. Why do you hate it? Because it's all... Dude, I thought it was about John Cusack, but it's not. It's about him like creeping on that girl. Dude, it's, it's about embezzlement. It's about embezzlement. Yeah, that entire movie is just... It's, it, they market it as a teen love story, but no, it's, it's all a, about embezzlement. Uh, yeah, it's all about how dad does crime. It's a financial drama. It's, it's, it's insane. It's like finding out that Dirty Dancing is about abortion. It is! And like race mixing. It is! I know, it's awesome. It's I didn't know that. class mixing, man. Oh, man, I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. I didn't know until we watched it. It blew my mind. Oh, Same thing man. with say, say Anything. I was like, what is going to happen? Well, hopefully, this movie will be as good as any of those. Oh, hell yeah. I think it might be better. We'll see. You know, I, I, I'm having high hopes that this is going to be Jeremy Piven's, like, really good standout, standout for me. Because usually he's just a dick. Yeah, but if he's the star in this movie and it's critically acclaimed, it's in the Criterion Collection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I'm excited to see how Swayze it is. I am as well. Now, Swayze is going to be one of the cameos. He is an uncredited role in this. But perhaps movie. the movie will be Swayze. Yeah, yeah. We're going to fucking find out. Are you ready to watch it? Yes. Let's watch it. We're crazy, Swayze. Go. 
Hot damn. A movie about movies, about movies, about movies. Dude, that was so... It was really good. It was just like on TV. It was so trippy. Yeah. I, uh... I, I think we should just start, Josh. How do, how do you feel about it? Like, what was your favorite part? It was a weird one. Like, what was the weirdest part? Let's go there. What was the weirdest part for you? Why did Walter know the whole time? I don't know. Okay. How did he know? How did he figure it out? <laughs> I've got no idea. Walter was my favorite part. Like, I've, like his performance is out of control. He was great. I think this is probably the best. I mean, don't get me wrong. Tremors is... A, a movie that shaped how I looked at horror in general. Sure. But like Fred Ward's was amazing in this. Yeah. Like this may be the best movie I've ever seen him in. Like he was so interesting and I have no idea how he figured out what happened during the plot of this film completely independent. <laughs> yeah. Like, he had no idea. Like he, he should have had no clue. He wasn't there for half of it. And he's like, this is exactly what happened. And the entire time you just see this panic, just wash over Tim Robbins, man. Yes. Yes. I agree. He kept grounding the movie. Like they kept getting away from what the plot of the movie was. And he would come in and be like, Hey, you've got this going on. Dude. <laughs> I, uh, I think my favorite part about him was the fact that he was just security for the the entire uh, the studio, right? Yeah. What like, was the studio? Is the studio Warner Brothers? They, I don't like. I know that they mentioned that somebody transferred from Fox. Yeah, they mentioned Fox and Paramount. And yes. Like the only, there's only a few left. If you take oh, off yeah. all the ones that. Yeah. So I I think yeah I would assume it was supposed to be like Warner Brothers. Because but Warner Brothers was the like studio that distributed this film, though, right? Actually, the studios that distributed this film were Addis Welsher, Spelling Entertainment, Avenue Pictures, and Fine Line Features. So they could all be under Warner Brothers, potentially. It could be. Um, but yeah, I, I think they've mentioned quite a few. They even mentioned Disney in this film also. Mm-hmm. Well, it really walks the line really well between like fiction and reality. Yeah. You know? I th- I think that that was like I was expecting Whoopi Goldberg to be Whoopi Goldberg, but she's a character in the film. <laughs> yeah, quite quite a few of them actually surprised us like that. Like Brian, yeah, Brian and fucking Vincent D'Onofrio. I didn't realize it was Vincent D'Onofrio at first because I was just like, who is this? He doesn't this look dude? like that anymore. That's the opposite of how he looks now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> squirrely and small and like hairy. Yeah, yeah, he had long hair, or well, I mean, like pretty long hair. Yeah. I thought he was great. Yeah. His performance was like he he always performed so well. Like he oscillated so quickly from like being just like a pissy guy to actually being scary and threatening. Yeah. Like I I couldn't believe them yelling at each other in the parking lot. Right? I was going to say I think he gave one of the most dynamic performances in the film. I mean, obviously Tim Robbins was all over the place. Right, but like he he gave Tim Robbins that jumping off point, you know? Like mm-hmm. to be actually scared. Yes. And I, I couldn't. I don't know. I, it's it's very it's very strange. It came out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and I loved it. His character was so strange. I I do you do you think that he was a really good red herring for it? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because it it doesn't it does seem like it should have been him, especially before he starts yelling and screaming. One hundred percent. Because once he's yelling, he's talking about existential threats. You yeah. know? Like that's why uh, Tim kills him, because it's all it's all existential threats. You you don't do anything. An executive doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. But they sort of do, right? Well, in this film they kinda 
made him seem like he was the one that was like hearing pitches. So I'm not sure if that's what an actual executive does, but he was at least painted as a person who makes the call as to what is gets greenlit or not kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what producers do, and they throw money at things. Mm-hmm. So they decide what gets made. Uh, yeah, so I guess he does have an important job. What do you think was the better pitch? The one that we started on, which was The Graduate 2, or where we ended with Habeas Corpus? What pitch Habeas was the Corpus best? Habeas Corpus is shit. That's a trash movie, and it's so funny that they got it made. Dude, I think that that was the best part of the film, was the fact that they were like... Yeah, this movie is fucking garbage. But, but that was his—that was the plan. Yeah, get yeah. it made and then get the guy fired because he's not doing a good job. Yeah, and then be like the white knight that comes in and saves it afterwards. Uh huh. And they did everything that the produ- or that the writers didn't want. Yeah. And the writers were happy with it. Yeah, because <laughs> they're like, this is what the people wanted. This is what's going to sell. They got a movie made. Do you think that that is exactly how Hollywood is? I feel I feel like as a person from the outside, this is what I would assume Hollywood is like. I mean, it may have been and it may still be. And that's why I say that if we were rich, we could make such weird art. Yeah. You know, like if we just knew the right people, we wouldn't even have to have the money ourselves. You oh, know? 100%. You know, you, like you just know all the rich people and you tell them your dumb pitch for The Graduate too. And the postgraduate, yeah, was the 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 way that they pitched it was like, all right, we've it's got twenty five years later, yeah, all all the main characters are still here, so let's have the three be living in a house together, and then their daughter, Julie, played by someone like Julia Roberts, is going to be the new graduate, and they're like, oh yeah, the graduate too, the postgraduate, you know, blah blah blah, and like, it felt like it was just real quick, fifteen minute, like. You know, pitches like the elevator ones that you always hear about, and there twenty five words or less is is what is directed of people, but it never is. Oh no! The, and then the immediate the second pitch we see was those two women that were just yelling over top what of were each they other, even talking about. Got no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> but like, so we sit there and we we watch this this gorgeous gorgeous opening shot. The oneer. Yeah, that is just panning around the studio going from conversation to conversation inside of a building outside of a building you know and just focusing on windows and stuff and it went on for something like three or four minutes or like it's longer than that it was the entire opening credits and there's so many credits for this movie because there's so many people in it but yeah this opening scene was gorgeous i want to say it was uh like a over 10 minute one or it was like a 12 to 15 minute one yeah then they did 15 takes and they took the 10th one oh those are the numbers. Hey, you know, would it, it was fucking amazing, though. This is the kind of thing that the people talk about wanting to do. Oh, it was like that music video we were watching earlier. Which one? The one where, uh, you know, they're going around the studio and everyone's in different rooms playing dis- different instruments. Oh, yeah, the chariot one. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I liked it. I thought it was really fucking cool. It's very rare that you can see someone utilize just, like, the perspective of where they are and just a little with a tiny movement then just changing the complete focus of the frame you know yeah yeah and that's uh, one of the recurring things throughout the film right is like mm-hmm. you zoom in or like the camera does a slow zoom or a fast zoom even yeah. on the window and you see what's going on outside or inside or whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. recurring theme yeah and then uh 
I, I don't know. I just thought it looked gorgeous the entire time. Everything was so fluid. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would just recommend that everybody watch the movie. I don't, like, I don't want to spoil too much of it or anything, because I think it was so fucking good. Yeah, it was really <laughs> great. I uh, I liked the the way that the plot moved along as well, mm-hmm. you know. We were, we, we were kind of slow at first, not really, like, gathering how severe the threat was. But um, when when we were first introduced to Tim Robinson's character, Griffin, he receives a postcard, and it's threatening, right? It just gives the idea that he was once a, a, a writer that he had talked to, and he kind of said, fuck off, you know? But it could be anyone, and that's the, that's the thing about the movie. That's like the central conceit, is it could be anyone. Yeah, it, Griffin will later go on to explain that he usually gets 12 green lights a year, but he'll hear something like 50,000 pitches. The studio total, he's saying, does 50,000 pitches, but he gets 125 phone calls a day that are all pitches. Yeah, yeah. And and if he doesn't give the 125% of himself, he feels like he could be missing something, you know? So it, I think it was good. Like he, He's just a studio exec that's like uh, real hungry. He wants to keep his job still. Yeah, because he thinks that somebody's coming in to take his job. Yeah, so he, he's plotting the entire time, and he started to receive these postcards that are threatening. And it lets, he lets them pile up. Like He gets like four or five before he actually like starts to take it anywhere near serious. Yeah, he asked his girlfriend, how long should somebody let this go on? If it wasn't me, <laughs> do you do you think the amount of time they said was appropriate? Five months of yeah. threats. Yes, five months of threats. I think so. I think what she said at first was three, and then she immediately changed it to five. Yes. I think three is a reasonable amount of time for you to expect it to die off. And if it happens the fourth time, that's when it's a problem. Uh, okay. All right. Like you, months. That is. Do you think that that is only an appropriate number because of their position in power at the studio? Yeah, and how many people he rejects all the time and stuff. And you'd think that most people would just get it out of their head. How how long do you think is an appropriate time to receiving to be receiving threatening letters from someone if you're not a studio executive? Twice. Twice? <laughs> all right. Maybe all right. three times. Okay, I'm just trying to like get your barometer of what's appropriate and so you know, I'm just trying to trying to get inside your head, Josh. What do you think? I think two is appropriate also. Like one I'm like, what the fuck? But if somebody Sometimes says people do that, one, yeah. I'd be like, Why are you why are you being why are you being like this? This isn't chill. Yeah, then I would ask somebody, <laughs> How mean, long is this appropriate to go on? Should I give this any attention? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Griffin, like, you know, he's talking to his girlfriend Bonnie about this, and he establishes that maybe we should do something about this, you know? So he so, does his research. Yeah. So he goes and looks through his lists of pitches that he's seen over the past six months, right? So he narrows it down to David Kahane, that's Vincent D'Onofrio. So he decides to Go and pay him a visit. And Tim Robbins breaks the first rule of crazy for Swayze and starts... He's peeping! Fucking peeping. Holy shit, I didn't even think about it, man. Yeah. He was peeping. Broke the first rule. How do you feel about this peeping? Because not only is he peeping, but then he pulls out his cell phone and decides to call. Well, that makes sense because, like, I'm imagine I knew this guy was Vincent D'Onofrio, so I was thinking... Well, yeah, of course you want to call ahead. You want to see what the guy looks like before yeah. you confront him. 
and he's not there. And then he like plays the scream game with uh, with with David's girlfriend. That's fucked up. Oh, what's your favorite scary movie? And she's like, Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and then they just talk for ten minutes while he looks in the windows, mm-hmm. and she's like painting, but like it doesn't make any sense, like what she's doing. I don't know. How does she have a home, dude? I have no idea. She went on to say that she doesn't paint for a living either. Yeah, she know? doesn't paint for a living. Like, she just does it. Yeah. Like, and I did appreciate that she explains that that to him because, like, I was wondering why the fuck is she painting all this stuff? Oh yeah. And she's like, I just like it. Mm-hmm. She, and she doesn't have a dealer. It was all real abstract too. There was lots of like, it, it looked it like was it, all blue. Everything's blue. Yeah, and it looked like it was. She was painting like a sign at first, but then she decided to just paint over top of it and make it clouds and swirls and all this other kind of stuff. And it was real like raw. And, you know, she uh, is described by her boyfriend as an ice queen, but she seems, like, very open and willing to talk to this man on the phone. I think she was described as an ice queen because she's from Iceland. You think that's why? Yes. I don't think so. I'm not even sure she was from Iceland. Why do you say that? The accent isn't right. (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to try and say her last name, Josh? Goodman's daughter. Goodman's daughter. Yeah, got it. I didn't even have to look at it. Goodman's Dottier. Yeah, and it makes sense to me because I've been playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and they all have fucking Viking-ass names like that. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, I actually met one guy called Brother, and his brother, Brother. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, let's see, I chose to sleep with one of the men, and uh, when we finished sleeping together, there were uh, dialogue options, mm-hmm. and it was both of the brothers' names. Or I could choose to say nothing, but I said the, the wrong brother's name yeah. on purpose. It was funny. <laughs> Jeez, Anyways. Kind of evil. Viking names. Just whatever, man. Spell it as wrong as you possibly can, and you've got a Viking name. I liked that on this peep and phone call, June gives us another red herring because he, she mentions that David calls Griffin dead man. Dead man. And he looks like a dead man later on in the movie. As the movie goes on, he becomes more and more dead man. Yeah. And then immediately tells him that she, he's off seeing a film at a, a, or like a local art theater and he's seeing Bicycle Thief. And they live in Pasadena. Yeah. So he, Griffin, Which is an important detail. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because Griffin is out of town, kind of, you know? Yeah, so he, it's he's like, why did like he, 20 minutes or whatever. Why was he in Pasadena? Oh, to... To see the bike thief. Me, well, yes, to see the bike thief. That's the, his first explanation at work the next day, is that he was there to see the movie. I was just going to say, I love that every time someone questions him about it, he changes the story just a little bit. Just a little bit, yeah. Just a tiny bit. He adds a little bit more each time. Do you think he had seen the bicycle thief before i think he had because uh yeah he didn't seem prepared to talk about it at work or to anybody who like he told that he saw the bicycle thief i did think it was funny that the first interaction he has back at work is someone going when was the last time you actually went to a a show and paid for it yeah he (laughs) couldn't say it fucking fast enough and then he's like oh well, I bet you went and saw some kind of like big budget movie. He's like, nope, Bicycle Thief. And he's like, that wasn't a real film. That's an art film or something like yeah, that. Yeah, when's the last time you paid to see a real movie? Yeah, like. <laughs> I love an art bullshit. movie. Those are the only ones that I call movies now. No, I call them films. You call them films? 
films. This was a bit of a film. Oh yeah, this was this is in the Criterion Collection. Therefore, it is necessarily film. This is art. Hell this yeah, is meta art. Uh, yeah, so I was I was imagining Vincent D'Onofrio being like this fucking enormous guy, bald head, ready to bash this dude's head in. I'm like, why is he talking to his girlfriend like that? Yeah, and then you meet him, and he's like a greasy uh, writer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he kind of his vibe. He kind of looks like Ted from How I Met Your Mother. He kind of looks like uh, what's what's that guy called from Silicon Valley and also Spider Man. Do you oh, know the one I'm talking Martin about? Martin Starr. Yes, that's the vibe he's giving me. Martin Starr. Silicon Valley was your identifier for him? Not Freaks and Geeks? I'd never watched Freaks and Geeks. Oh man, you're missing the fuck out. I know, but, you know, it's kind of late now. No, it's not. It's <laughs> never too late for Freaks and Geeks. Got Linda Cardellini in it. I know. And Busy Phillips. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar. Oh, I couldn't recommend that enough. I think we tried to watch it once when me and my Lost crew were together in high school. Like, we watched the new episode of Lost, and they were like, time for Freaks and Geeks. Dude. And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to leave. That's okay. Well, Freaks and Geeks is wonderful. I would highly suggest that to anyone who uh, is listening to this, especially because I grew up, like, 15 minutes away from where it's supposed to be taking place. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was supposed to be taking place in the fictional town of Chippewa, Michigan, but that was actually based on Mount Clemens. You know, for me, it's just a matter of like, it's counterculture, but it's very mainstream counterculture. You know, it's like Rocky Horror Picture Show yeah. or go shopping at Hot Topic. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's I don't know. I That's why that, I never got into it. That just comes with time, though. Also, because when it originally aired in two thousand, like. No one cared about it. That's why I only got one season. And then because it got popular, because the actors and the director and the creator became bigger names later on, that's why we got a cult following. It's just so weird that, like, counterculture has become culture, you know? I don't know. I think it's just a matter of uh, people will eventually find cool shit, and then sometimes it just takes the masses longer, you know? Sure, sure. It just, like, when counterculture is the main culture, it makes it stop feeling like counterculture. Well, yeah, that's exactly it. It's not counterculture anymore. It's the culture. Yeah, fucking comic books and, like, weird comedians. Yeah. And, like, action movie stars still? Why do you say action movie stars? I don't know. We love a Jason Statham. Everyone loves one of those. Oh, yeah. I love me a Jason Statham. And everybody loves John Cena now. Yeah, he's cool, too. Yeah. Yeah, and he was definitely counterculture being a wrestler. Yeah, there's but but is wrestling counterculture because it was and then it wasn't. Well, and now it's like it Donald isn't Trump again. became president, and we became aware that all of culture is wrestling. Mm-hmm. So like that kind of ruined everything. Saying the quiet part out loud, you know. Yeah. But yeah. in terms of wrestling, do you think that t- Tim Robbins and Vincent D'Onofrio's kind of wrestling in this movie was any good? Do you think that they I'm would... actually physically fighting? Yeah. Dude, I thought it was awesome. I thought their the, the choreography of the fight was great. It was like a comedy of errors. Yeah. Where it's like, hey, I'm just trying to protect myself here. And, you know, pushes him. Yeah, and he, he threw him <laughs> over a fucking, like, little railing into a... Like, it was a drop stair, you know? Like, like five stairs, but there was a, a few inches of water because it had rained recently. Yeah, and, and there's the, always just some water, you know? Yeah, always just in some... In the gutter. In low, the low ground, you know? But, like, they, they, they tussled around for a little bit, and then eventually Tim Robbins, like, Griffin, he just starts beating... Or he gets on top of him, and then starts, like... Drowning him. Yeah. In the puddle. Say, say he started, like, slamming his head into the ground, but it looked like he was just, like... 
bringing them up for like a gasp and then just holding them under, holding them under, then bringing them up for a gasp and holding them under. Like it looked like he was intentionally drowning him. I don't think he was dead until uh, uh, fucking Tim walked away, though. Like yeah. after he walked away. That gave that gave fucking uh, Vincent enough time to uh, breathe all the water in because like he could have stopped it, you know. He, he had let out some air bubbles under the water. Yeah. So I, I mean, th- th- no attempt at CPR. No. No. No attempt at CPR. And I thought he was gonna do the CPR, and instead he mugged him. <laughs> I don't think he mugged him. I think he took his like card out of his wallet because he gave him a card. You know. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Okay. I was just assuming he mugged but, him. <laughs> yeah, he did go through his wallet and his pockets, and then he went and fucking broke his car window as he skedaddled out of there. Yeah, just to make it look like a mugging, and then like it all kind of unravels from there. It becomes American Psycho. Where you, like I wasn't even sure if he had actually done it, dude. The 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 next meeting that they went to, where where Larry is introduced, Larry Levin, mm-hmm. um, and he's doing the whole like I don't I don't think we should do pitches from people. I think we should just like make it all in house. And then he tells them to pick up the newspaper and just start pitching, dude. American Psycho vibes so fucking hard. Uh-huh. So fucking hard. I was waiting for someone to whip out business cards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, everyone takes a turn just reading a headline out of the paper, and then Larry p- gives a real quick pitch of like, oh, yeah, we'll give this to this director and then slap this happy ending on it. million fucking dollars. And he was acting all super cool and, like... And that's what the movie's about, right? Is like, the, like on a metaphorical level and a subtextual level, it's all about the death of the writer. Yeah, and yeah. Like how the writers aren't necessary. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like, is that the satire of the whole movie? Because in the end, like, no one cares that the writer is dead. Yeah. And the executive gets a happily ever after. Yeah. So weird. I think it's weird, dude. Like, I think the death of the writer is very much the the bridging point between the first and the second act. Now it's all, like, I feel like we're all about auteur directors, director-writers now. Yeah. Um, I I don't... It, it's weird that in the 90s that's what they were doing, is they were doing the death of the writer. And that makes sense, you know? Like, it was an opulent time. We just kind of want to go to the theater and watch some shit. Yeah. But, like, this movie isn't really a, about anything besides the death of the writer. Mm-hmm. So I don't... I, I just don't see, like... It, that's is that the satire? I think it is. Like this Honestly. movie's not about anything really. Well, <clears throat> but it's also a classic throwback because it's a noir. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. I'm just like confused what the point of it is. Like, well, who was this for? You know, who was he writing this for? I think this this movie is for people in the film industry. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's it's. Maybe it is. It's it's a love letter to when writers were a thing, and this is was trying to cement the fact that you know, like, yeah, they're producing movies now that they don't need a writer. They they literally kill the writer yeah. in this film, yeah. And then the next thing we hear is this pitch for this movie, um, the 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 habeas corpus movie, yeah. And it, and the whole thing about that was. These two guys that were doing this pitch, it's just They were like, giving me uh, fucking Ben and Jerry vibes. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Just appearing. Wonderful, wonderful. Where's the brie? It's the bread. It's the bread, Jer. This is the best sandwich I've ever had. Um, I definitely get Jerry and Ben vibes from them. 
hundred percent. Hell yeah, yeah. They're just like coming in and being fucking. Oh no, actually, I feel I get that vibe later on in the film when he went full Patrick Bateman yeah. and he's sitting there talking to Bonnie. Those two, yes, yes. I think when we get the the Werner Herzog n- knockoff guy, the British guy that's yeah. talking about habeas corpus, I get a little bit less of the Ben and Jerry vibe. <laughs> You know, but it's still uh, yeah. there. Yeah, they're 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 just to be silly. It seems like I like how they're pitching an art film immediately. They're like, well, sad ending. No, no, ta- no actual names. Just talent. Blah blah and, blah. And they are the writers. Yeah, but like clearly they have a pitch and shit. Like it's not all about being writers. And there's no second act, as was pointed out. Mm-hmm. So they're shitty writers, and then they're gonna get this sick movie with all these fucking stars in it. Mm-hmm. Huh, interesting. And yeah, they decide they're like, we don't want to pitch this movie anymore. We're done. We just want to work with the studio. Yeah. We're studio boys now. Well, that that's what the second group war, war says. Oh yeah. We had we had two pitches in this in the second and third part of the movie kind of situation. But this is also when we're introduced to Whoopi Goldberg. Mm, yes. She plays a detective who is uh interviewing fucking Griffin about this this writer that has turned up dead now in the back of a of a theater that he had gone on to tell his you know work counterparts that he was at that night yeah everyone knew where he was yeah and all they had to do was look at the phone records and know that he had called this guy's girlfriend not only his phone records but he took him out to a drink at a fucking japanese karaoke bar afterwards and put it on the fucking credit card for the studio sure sure he it just looks even more sketchy than it is like he killed this guy to uh be with his girlfriend it it <laughs> that's exactly what it looks like and i mean it sort of is that but it also isn't at all yeah it, I, it's it's a comedy of errors that leads to him having a, a happily ever after he fails upwards. Yeah, yeah. He had this awesome girlfriend that he was like, "Aren't you afraid? Are you afraid of success or whatever?" And trying to send her on pitches to go to New York and like, if she gets this book, then she's going to become a partner or something like that, or vice president or some shit. And like, the entire time he's trying to like get away from Bonnie, so now he can hang out with June. Bonnie's the best. Bonnie's the coolest the entire time. Yeah. I think that she was pretty level-headed and that her reaction once she gets fired at the end of the film was probably the best acting. It's like a human reaction as well. Like, no one else throughout the movie has, like, human reactions to anything. No, yeah, she does (laughs) the entire time because, like, you can see her when, when Griffin is in full Patrick Bateman mode you know essentially saying yeah i sent you out of town to go get this go get this deal and now you've talked to my uh my secretary and she's informed you that i'm going to mexico with another woman and and we were at a party in public last night with what'd she say 300 of my closest friends <laughs> exactly yeah so she fucking sits there and gets broken up with in front of people, in front of Ben and Jerry. And then immediately gets fired. And then immediately gets fired. And, like, Bonnie's just the goddamn trooper. She's the Iron Man the whole time. Like, she was cool the entire time. And, like, she just got shit on at the end. Well, I mean, yeah, she was due for a promotion, not to get fired. Yeah. Wild. Well, you know, no one wants to see a woman in power. Mm-hmm. A woman's mm-hmm. place is in the room where she paints all day. And for no one except for herself. How does she pay for the house? 
I don't Maybe know. that's what the gun was in the deleted scenes. Like, it was supposed to explain how she has money and no job. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. She's, it's not like her boyfriend was getting her. paid, dude. Yeah, he wasn't either. I don't know. Where do you, where do you, where do you land on the snake in the car? Oh, uh, my note was, it's my snake in a box. Dude. I thought that was the most ridiculous part of the movie. Like, why do we include that? Yeah, and it, well, because they had the snake, right? They had the snake for the day because they had it out in the desert as well when they drive out to the desert, and they had it in the postcard, <laughs> right? They're like, oh, we got. Let's make the most of the day with the snake. We we had it, yeah, dude. That snake got murder ertled. I don't know. That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, and. What a movie, because the, the postcards keep coming after he, he makes the murder, so it was no murder. I mean, the murder had no purpose. Yeah, yeah. I think that the him finding the snake was what marked his descent into madness. Absolutely. Like, that was his... Uh, he his was doing point. fine until the snake came out. Yeah, and then once once he, once he the snake comes out, because what he does is he gets in his car, and then he gets a fax you know, out of his dashboard, and it just says, move your raincoat, he moves his raincoat, and he finds this box, and he opens the box, you know, like, the It says box. don't open until Christmas. Yeah. He shouldn't have opened it. He shouldn't have opened it at all, but as soon as he opens it, then, then the sides fall over, and there's just this rattlesnake going, like, rolling around his Land Rover, right? And he freaks the fuck out, gets out of the car, finds a, an umbrella, and just kills it. And uh, makes his way over to June's house, and just fucking spills the beans about his peeping. Yep. He's yep. just like, I'm... And she's like, that's fine. Yeah, she's kind of cool with it. Offers him a drink. Yeah, she seemed sinister because she was so cool with everything. Like, either she is a, a person who has no agency, or she is, uh, like, dastardly as fuck. And I think there was a dastardly June subplot cut out to give us the happy ending. Oh, maybe that's another thing, right? Like, Ooh. they gave us the happy ending, and that was a recurring thing throughout the movie. Yeah, they, they kept teasing that, that happy endings don't actually happen in real life. But, the you know, time. like, they do test well with audiences. And this movie, very, especially, like, the sheen that's over the last few minutes, like, they fucking put some Vaseline on the lens or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a, uh, it felt like a tacked-on ending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where, like, it hinges on him at the police station unraveling <laughs> do you think that bonnie is drawing attention to griffin's unraveling then you know mm-hmm. at, at this point in the film because uh, we've seen him start to descend much quicker into madness yeah yeah and like, he's getting ready to go to mexico or whatever yeah well she still doesn't know that he's going to go to mexico but she calls him out and is like hey you're acting fucking weird man yeah, like, what's, going, what's on? going on and he just kind of shrugs it off do you think it was wrong for her to let him shrug it off, or do you think that maybe she should have pressed a little bit harder? I mean, technically, he's her boss, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, how hard can you press when someone doesn't want anything to do with you, you know, if someone's pushing you off? I mean, that's a very good point. I mean, she was just doing her best to maintain her position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I don't, yeah, I think she was thinking more about herself at the moment, so maybe she should have pressed harder. But I mean, what was, how hard can you press, man? If your man's cheating, he's cheating. Mm-hmm. But if you're not seeing him, then is he even cheating on you? He's like just seeing somebody else and not you. Yeah. I don't know. I think there. She was in a tough position. She put herself in a tough position, though, when she put herself in his lap earlier in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And I also, 
I don't know if they were like official, official or anything sure. like that because they no, they never mentioned any titles or being exclusive uh-huh. or anything. So I don't know. Maybe it could have just been like a, a work affair. If you're just having a fun time, um, then you don't push too hard. Yeah, yeah. Them's the rules. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Well, like, uh, yeah. I don't know. How did like? So she goes to New York. And then Griffin, like I said, we like you said, takes uh, takes June to a fundraiser. Yeah, where there's a lot of people, not Patrick Swayze. Yeah, yeah, lots of people at this fundraiser. Or, well, I mean, it was just maybe less of a fundraiser. Well, they were the studio was donating twenty five of his classic black and white films to a museum. So it was a big handoff kind of situation. All the studio execs were that share was there. How do you feel about Cher? They was she a character? Or was she Cher? She was Cher, and she actually like. That's Are you thing. sure? Because I didn't hear her named. No, they, everybody else gets named. They mentioned her being Cher because it was a black and white event, and Cher showed up in a big red dress. Ah, oh, that's Cher. Mm-hmm. I think that was definitely one of the most Cher things she could have done. But yeah, she was top of the list of the Oscar winners that were featured in the film. She has an Oscar. Yeah, for Moonlighting. No, not Moonlighting. Moon Dance. Sorry. Moonlighting with Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis is in this movie. He is. Dude, I think we should take a quick little 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 moment and talk about some of the people we saw in this film. Well, we knew we were going to be on Brian James and fucking Whoopi Goldberg. Because they were in the cast. Yeah. They weren't just like special appearances. Yeah. Who else were we on watch for now? John Cusack. John Cusack popped up in this. He knows speaking, just like... Oh, oh, no, he did a little bit. He had a line or two? He said that he wasn't going to be at uh, the film festival. He was going to be, like, around the corner. Mm. Or maybe he would be at the film festival and he's staying around the corner. We also saw a return of Scott Glenn. So now we're we're currently on Cusack and Glenn Watch. I know. Dude, what are we going to do? I have no idea. I, at this point, though, I think I think Swayze's been in more shit with Brian than anybody else. I think so as well. <laughs> it's definitely what it's looking like. And, like, not to get too many people excited, we'll get to it when we get to it, but this movie with the cameos triggered lots of watches for future potential movies. So, dude, this is this seems like this was the, this this was this the, was one. the maker. Yeah, this is the this is what makes everything one degree from Patrick, Patrick Swayze. <laughs> it seems like, if Kevin yeah. Bacon was there, he would have much less degrees. Oh man, oh I love it, I love it. Wait, is seven degrees from Kevin Bacon? Uh, like six for, degrees from Kevin Bacon? Okay, is that for the stars only, or is it for also you and me? Does it work for like every human who's alive? I don't think it's from every human who's alive. I think it's just you know. This person shared a title with this person, and okay. then and steps from there. Is it only famous people or only actors? I I would put it with um, anyone in the film industry. Okay, okay, so not necessarily music people, though. Yeah, because my first thing would be because Kevin Bacon and Tremors looks like John Bon Jovi, and the it's my life music video, so they must be the same person. That doesn't count. Okay, yeah. like it has to be Kevin Bacon was in Tremors with. Uh, Fred Ward, and then Fred Ward was in this with Tim Mad- or Tim Robbins, and Tim Robbins was in Top Gun with uh, with Tom Cruise, and okay. going on kind of situation. Are you saying that Tom Cruise is in a movie with Kevin Bacon? No, <laughs> I'm saying I've gotten to Tom Cruise from Kevin Bacon, utilizing Tim Robbins, and 
fucking uh, Fred Ward. Okay. Well, Brian James, what a fucking hero. Yeah, he's our he's our, our hinge in so many films. We can get from to Pat, from Patrick Swayze to Blade Runner in one move. <laughs> one deft move. One move. And then from Blade Runner to Blade Runner 2049, meaning that Ryan Gosling is only no. two degrees from Patrick Swayze. Well, he'd be three. Ah, fine. Because we'd have to go to Harrison Ford. I feel like Ryan Gosling is our generation's Patrick Swayze. Do you think he can he can dance? I think he can dance. He was in La La Land. Oh, yeah, and he can sing as well. Yeah, he can. Hell, yeah. He's, he's like the perfect, perfect man. The perfect man. Like, I, he's so pretty, and he's so talented, and everything he's in, I'm just like, Ryan Gosling, you're the best, man. Yeah, G- Gosling's to geese. Dude, I, there was one time that he was filming something in Detroit, and me and my friend Stefania just ran around the city trying to find him. We were unsuccessful. But there was a, a lookalike running around the city also. Ooh, on purpose? Yeah, called Lion Gosling. Whoa. Yeah, and somebody like interviewed him on the news and shit like that. It was a thing. I, it made me laugh. Okay, what did you think about June? I liked June. I thought she was the coolest the entire time. She just drank and did art and went to parties with, with movie stars. Like, that's, that's the it dream. doesn't let them fuck her. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. She lets them fuck, but, like, later on, she's like, no, I want to get to know you. And she's very clear with what she wants. And, like, that's... But then the hey. first time they have sex, she says the word love. Yeah. That's a red flag. Well, no, she asks if he wants to make love with her, and he's like, yeah. But that, yeah, yeah, but they don't do it for, like, three more dates. Yeah. Which is fine and good and dandy. He got he had to take her on vacation. Yeah, and then she's just going to use the love word. I feel like that would have freaked him out. It didn't freak him out at all. Well, okay, okay. Let's 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 backpedal a moment because as she's telling him that she, that loves, she him. loves him, he's confessing to this murder that he made. Okay, that's actually a question I have. Why do they always confess? I don't know. Narcissists don't confess. They don't think that they did anything wrong. I don't know. I don't know. I have it's no a, idea. It's a movie trope. It's not. I don't think that's a real life trope. Like artists confess because they have no other option to for some reason. I don't know what that's about. Like, why is it that Bill Cosby wrote all those weird rape jokes and told everyone? Why do they do that? I don't know, man. I don't know. I liked that when when we started to question. Uh, a man who kept showing up on on film. He kind of looked like, like I don't know. He, he looked like he he was he, he had Kramer hair. But he was the Terminator. Yeah, he was also the Terminator. It's it, it Terminator. So, yeah, the Kramerator. So yeah, he's Terma Kramer. We've been seeing him pop up from here and there. Like, what's the, this guy might be the killer? You know, now that. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, the killer, the yeah. threatening man, yeah, the one the, who writes the letters. Yeah. Because the, the killer op- is the main character. The, the killer is the hero. <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. I misspoke. So the, we, That's we, what I kept calling him, too, the killer. We, we think that this dude might be the author, the, the writer. And uh, that's when we find out that, that it's not. It's the exact opposite. He's a policeman. <laughs> he's been a policeman this whole time, and he's just been tailing Griffin. Yeah, and you think that he's like, man, he seems really sinister and bad. And then when he jumps out with the badge, I I didn't believe he was a cop until they immediately went to the station. (laughs) 
Dude. But he had a desk, so I mean, he had to have worked there. Yeah, he he and and Whoopi was talking to him. The detective was talking, and they were talking like he had been just gathering evidence on Griffin this entire time because he was, like we said, spotted at the the movie theater with him and at the bar and shit like that. So like they knew he was there, and he's been fucking this guy's girlfriend. Yeah, and they bring that up, and he's, and he's like, like, "No, we haven't fucked." Yeah, if, and if I did, I wouldn't talk to you about it and stuff like that, and like. I don't know. I thought that's when that's what that conversation is what triggered him to become full Patrick Bateman. Mm-hmm. And after that, he's just sweaty and wearing black suits the entire time. Yeah, and the way that they kind of question him is like absurd. Like she seems like she's trying to be his friend, and he's like, "I don't want to finger the wrong guy" because they're trying to get him to look at some mug shots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's like, "Now nah, we always get the right guy." We, yeah. In Pasadena. Yeah, we always get the right guy in, in LA. And they'll fuck you up and then they'll arrest you. <laughs> you know, and who is that guy? She doesn't know who the guy was that had just gotten beaten up in LA. Yeah. Rodney no King. Yeah, yeah. She, she, can't, she has three people who it was. <laughs> I think she knows. I think she's playing dumb. Real good character. Yeah, I, I liked Lots of strong character. female characters in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Did any of them talk to each other? Yeah. Who is who is the the detective's assistant? Oh yes, uh, I don't know. Her job is to clean up the. Was it Whitney? Pam or something? <laughs> I think it was Whitney. But also, uh, what's her face has an assistant. Oh. Bonnie has an assistant, and they yeah. probably talk about work. All right, well, we we can give it a thumbs up in that category. Yes, this movie passes the Bechtel test. One measure of feminism. The only measure of feminism, the Bechtel test. Well, and like commenting on uh, like an anti-feminist culture, in my opinion, is like another, like another way that you can rate feminism. Mm-hmm. But who's to say if it's good or bad commentary to show <laughs> that women get kicked out of the film industry much easier than men? Dude, I think that that was a selling point, which makes it more seem more realistic because that exact thing happens. Yeah, it does happen. I, so uh, it is, but it's like, is it commenting and saying anything about it, or is it just pointing it out, you know? I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think it may, maybe a little bit of both. I mean, the movie's definitely talking about how it's a boys' club. There's no doubt about yes, that. Yes. Because we don't even know what those women's pitch was at the beginning of the movie. We no don't idea. remember as the yeah. audience. Yeah. No idea what they were trying to pitch. But then we remember fucking The Graduate 2 because it was Martin Scorsese or whoever it was with that weird beard. No, he, it's not Martin Scorsese, but he knows Harvey Keitel. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who that guy was. I don't either. How did you feel about their their quick trip to Mexico? Like, I feel like it was one of those like, hey, do you want to fuck? No, I don't want to fuck. Do you want to fuck in Mexico? Hell yeah, I'll fuck in Mexico. It's a Brett Michaels move. <laughs> It's a Patrick Swayze move. He's taking a book out of Patrick Swayze's book. Holy shit. Taking a book out of Patrick Swayze's book. I forgot book. to write road trip on my list here. Yeah. So he decides, uh, Griffin's like, let's go to fucking Mexico, June. And June's like, do I need a passport for that? And he's like, yes. So they get the passports. They get all their fucking shit packed up. They go to the fucking airport. And all of a sudden, Griffin sees the cops. And he goes, oh, no. I forgot my passport. Let's go to the hot springs in the desert instead. And in the deleted scene, it's Al Capone's hideout. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what it is. There's like a little grotto and all this kind of stuff. It's very romantic. Yeah, I mean, there's only one other couple there. And they're nude in the pool. Mm-hmm. Dude, 
it was it was a cool looking little place I love that to we show. called it a trip to Mexico because it's not it's not it's not <laughs> they went to this fucking desert hot spring well he was gonna go to Mexico they were gonna but that wouldn't have been a road trip because they would have been on a plane yeah and then they decided to drive to these hot springs so it became a road trip instead of a vacation and suddenly yes it becomes clear that there is gonna be some romance and sexiness in this movie mm-hmm. and like it all takes place out in the desert nothing else there's no sexiness back home in, in LA at all I think this movie for the this the sweat, the sweatiness per bang scene ratio. What, were they as sweaty as Young Bloods? I was gonna say it <laughs> rivals Young Bloods. These oh were God. some sweaty bangers. Let me tell you, they were very sweaty. They probably like had like baby oil all over each other or something. Because yeah. man, like you don't get an even coat like that. It just comes from your sweat spots. Well, see, okay, this is also a thing that we have to take into account. When they were banging in Young Bloods, they were banging. In, in the Great White North, I know. And why would they pour water all over each in other in Canada? Right. So they should have been frozen. And th- these these guys, th- they were banging in Los Angeles. No, they were banging in the desert. In the desert near Los Angeles, it, a hot spring yeah. spot. So I feel as if it was definitely hotter here, but. The people in Canada were banging so much harder. Oh yeah, these guys weren't banging that hard. They just liked each other a lot, and it was the culmination of their their dating. It was the heat of passion. Yeah, I don't know. It freaked me out. I, like, I, it was one of the most uncomfortable uh, sex scenes I've ever seen in a movie. That's like a consensual sex scene. Why did it make you uncomfortable? Because he's trying to confess a murder to her, and she is trying to tell him that she loves him, and they are both like. Balls doing deep. the wrong thing. <laughs> Balls to yeah. Oh, could you imagine if like you were having sex with a person and you were like getting it, like throwing it in there, and then all of a sudden they're like, "I murdered somebody. I murdered your boyfriend." I know, like, right? Like, but she was also like doing a con on him. I think with the love, it, it's just insane. It was. Oh. It made me so uncomfortable. So then, when he's the dead man in the, they're both the dead men in the mud bath. That kills me, man. I liked that mud bath. I liked how fast the mud on their faces was drying. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how fast mud would dry. You know, mm-hmm. in that I think kind it's of situation. Fast. It definitely looks like a predator kind of thing, though, and I loved it. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I loved it because they, they looked dead. And it, finally, it's come to fruition. They've, they've made it out to the desert. They're, they're away from the cops. And in the middle of it, he gets the most stressful call of his life, probably. I, uh, this was my favorite part of the movie. Full dong. Full dong. Tim Robbins Griffin gets out of the mud bath completely naked. You get to see... A side side shot of a dirty dong. It's a pretty sizable dong. It's a it's <laughs> way to go, Tim Robbins. You're yep. working with a hog. It, it explains a lot, actually, doesn't it? <laughs> his like, two hot girlfriends. His two hot girlfriends. His big dick energy at the office. Hey, you know. But yeah, he so gets for him. He gets this phone call from 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 Brian saying like, "Hey, you gotta you gotta get to Pasadena. You gotta do a lineup, bud." Sorry. No, he's the call isn't from Brian. It's from his lawyer. Oh, his lawyer? Who was uh, 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 somebody. Oh, the guy in the Reebok outfit. <laughs> Maybe. I don't think so. Yeah, that was his lawyer. The man in the wheelchair with the Reebok outfit was That's his lawyer. That's the lawyer that he hooked him up with, that his actual lawyer hooked him up with. Oh, He his- has his personal lawyer, but that's just like his personal lawyer. For crime, he's got to talk to this <laughs> other guy. Oh. 
Oh, I see what you're saying. I missed that part. I thought maybe like Fred Ward called him or something like that, like Walter. Yeah, you would think it would be Walter. No, it went past Walter. It was above Walter's pay grade. Walter had already done everything he could at that point to prepare him for being questioned by the cops. Dude, I, I loved this lineup. It was probably one Putting of the-, the cop in the lineup is the most absurd bit, like from the movie, I think. Well, I... I, is that something they do? I don't know. Well, obviously they have to throw a few dummies in there, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't. You can't just grab people off the street and make you, them be your dummies. You just got to pat it out. You just got to pat it out. So, they since he was following Griffin around, the witness fingers him as the murderer because she saw him following Griffin around. And that's like where the movie hinges, right? Like it could have been one ending or it could have been another, and she fingers the wrong guy. Dude, I loved it. I thought it was so funny. The the look of relief that washed over Griffin when he gets the news that the woman fingered the cop as the witness. You know, like, you know the witness fingered the cop. And Whoopi Goldberg's fucking uh, reaction is solid Dude, as well. She, she wants to know where this lady's mom's grave is so that she can go unearth it because this lady swore on her grave that <laughs> this cop was the bad guy. <laughs> It was so fucking funny. And then you just get to see all the cops watch Griffin walk out of the police station from the window, just pissed, and he looks so relieved. And then we get, like, a little title card that says, one year later, opens in a jail. <laughs> Josh, describe this, please. I Please take the reins on this one. It's everything that, that, had, a picture. It had, been, that had been described for habeas corpus. It was everything and the exact opposite. At, at the, the same, same time, time. <laughs> which is gorgeous, we got Julia Roberts in in the role of the the woman that is being being murdered on death row. Or, uh, She's being executed, ex- executed on death row for murder. Right? We've got Bruce Willis as her husband, I guess, who gets there at the last second to save her. Yeah, who is right she, when the pellets she drop? Was accused of murdering that he, he ended up faking his, his own death. What took him so long? Dude, I don't know. Traffic, Traffic was a bitch. Oh! Yeah, so he goes and like throws a chair through a window and saves her. We had Scott Glenn there and like it was just it, it cuts to all the studio execs watching this and that's when Bonnie explodes being like this is the exact opposite of what you pitched. And you're happy with this? And they're like, yeah, because it's making money, baby. <laughs> and you fucking, all the dudes, all the dudes were like loving it. And then that's when fucking Larry was just like, hey, Bonnie, why don't you go pack up your desk? <laughs> like, you Who suck. is this woman? <laughs> yeah, like this suggestion that you're making is not good. You should leave. And that's it. Dude, it was so fucking weird. How about like, that phone call, though? Like, yeah, once she gets fired, like, she goes to talk to Griffin. Griffin kind of blows her off. He completely ignores her, and she's literally right next to him while she's having a meltdown. Yeah, she's she's having the breakdown, and he's like, yep, sorry, leaving. So he just goes and hops in his car. Sick whip. Has the phone call that he's got waiting for him transferred to his car phone, and as he drives to his home in the hills... It's a pitch. He gets a pitch from the writer. He pitches the player in the movie we just watched. It's great. <laughs> and it was great. The pitch was smooth, and he ended with saying, if, uh, if you're happy with this, I can guarantee a happy ending for the studio exec. And Griffin's like, hey, I'm happy with this. And he's like, sounds good to me. And that's it. His beautiful uh, pregnant wife comes out, yep. they smooch, and that's... June is very pregnant, and then the credits roll. 
Credits. Dude, it was... No Patrick Swayze. No Patrick Swayze. Dude, I feel like we need to create a whole new category for this movie. Like, he he was in the deleted scenes. As himself. Which which is a quick one, right? But the film itself, like, I feel like we need a name for this. Is this, like, like a Swayze adjacent or something like that? A Swayze adjacent. Dude, I think this may be a Swayze adjacent And we did it on accident. I don't even know. I thought he was in it. Dude, I, I thought he was too. I knew he was uncredited, you know, and I knew he was playing himself. But with all the cameos in this, I felt like maybe he would be in it. But we were lucky enough to have the deleted scene on the DVD, right? It looks as if he and Jeff Daniels were filming some kind of medical drama. Yeah, in, in right? universe. In, a, in universe. So the first deleted scene we get is uh, Griffin walking and talking with, with Larry and uh, he walks past Jeff Daniels, who's working on his golf swing, right? Once that scene ends... Incessantly. He won't stop yeah, working he on won't it. won't stop working on it, but gives him compliments about his dailies and stuff like that and whatever. So the next scene, you see him come out of the alleyway that would presumably be where he just left. And then you see uh, Walter talking with Patrick Swayze, and they're doing a little bit of karate, right? So Griffin walks by... Thanks, Pat, for his good work and tell them dailies are looking great. And then the scene continues. I think that we just get a little bit of static, like talking about karate and just doing a little bit of, of kicks. But they're around. in the background. It's not in the foreground at all. You can barely tell it's Swayze. Very in the background. Even like the, the quality of the film is lower. And I think it... Uh, oh, yeah, the quality of the film's lower because they never mastered it or whatever you do with film. Exactly. Yeah, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I I thought it was it was a, a cute little scene. I'm happy it was they a good included excuse it for us to be able to watch this movie. Yeah, this movie was great. I was really happy we got to. I would really honestly suggest it to anyone. This was so much fun, especially if you like like a Hollywood noir. Yeah, it was if a you're great. Into the films of David Lynch. It was a great mystery, honestly, dude. I watched Chinatown this morning. Really? Yeah. It did it well prepare you for this? It got me excited for this. I. I- um, his sister, his mother, his sister, mother. Is that how it goes? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I. She's my mother. She's my sister. She's my mother. Yeah. Or no, I. She's my daughter. I'm her mother. Oh she's yeah. She's my sister. I'm her mother. She's my sister. Yeah. Uh, yes. I had watched it when I was in uh, film 101 or whatever the fuck class I was taking. It was a good movie. I would. Pretty dope. I liked it. It's dark, and I didn't know they made them like that back then. Well, I mean, it was Roman Polanski, and he was definitely pushing pushing the envelope in the 70s for film before they were like, hey, this is what the studio needs you to do. He was like the tail end of the directors that got to do whatever the fuck he wanted. Yeah, this is, yeah, this movie's almost like Mulholland Drive, though. Yeah. Only it's about men. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of like Mulholland Drive. It's from, it's from a different perspective. Uh, it would be like the Justin Thoreau character is the star. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dude, this was great. I loved it. I loved it too. Tell me what the other people thought of it. Josh, we had a budget of $8 million. Okay. With a gross box office of $21.7 million. That's pretty good for like a movie about movies. This made some fucking money man i mean that's nothing by these days standards but still that's a pretty cheap budget for what they got going on here like they got locations and shit Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this came out uh pretty pretty well liked amongst everyone right 
We've got a 3.9 out of 5 on Letterboxd, a 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb, a 98% Rotten Tomato, an audience score of 84%, an Amazon score of 4.4 out of 5, 70% 5 star, 5% 1 star. My DVD don't work. And we have an Ebert Josh. Oh, yeah. All right. Are you ready to guess? I already know. I already know. Four out of four stars. Best movie ever. Love movies about movies. The Player is a smart movie and a funny one. It is also absolutely of its time. It is the movie the bonfire at the Vanities wanted to be. As someone who grew up on his great films, it gives me so much pleasure to see Altman make another one. Look, I can't believe that fucking Ebert had to throw shade at uh, Kirsten Dunst for his fucking review. Of this movie. He didn't throw shade. He's acknowledging that that movie was going for something. And this movie having came out later. It's a personal affront to Kirsten Dunst. I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe we'll have to watch that movie and check it out and see how it feels compared I bought to this it. one. I bought it on DVD. I still have to watch it. Josh. How did you feel about this? I gave it four out of five stars on Letterboxd, same as you. Dude, I gave it four out of five as well. This movie was so much fucking fun. Yeah, it was unpredictable. The performances, all amazing. I think Vincent D'Onofrio is the standout actor. He was so brief, but dude, he fucking nailed it. Dude. The entire breadth of his career was was in this this short act, you know? Mm -hmm. So good. Yeah, he was very, very emotive. He was working, he was just working it up a storm. Uh, do you job. like him better in Spider Man or uh, Hawkeye? In D'Onofrio? Yeah. He wasn't in Spider Man. Oh, he wasn't? No. I fell asleep. <laughs> no, he wasn't in Spider Man. I thought he was. You know what he was in? What? Men in Black. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm in Men in Black. Yeah, I just, uh, man, he was so crazy on Hawkeye. <laughs> He was a madman in fucking Hawkeye. Like, he made sense to me in Daredevil. Like, that is a grounded character. The one in Hawkeye did not make any sense. (laughs) He's going to beat up this little girl. Uh, Josh, I've got a few taglines for you. You want to rank them? Uh, Mulholland Blank Drive. All right, I have five of them for you. All right? Making movies can be murder. How does that one rank? Thumbs up. Thumbs up. All right. Number two. Movies. Now more than ever. Thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Okay. All right. All right. Movies now more than ever as well. Still. Movies now and forever. Movies now and forever. All right. Ready for number three? Yeah. Everything you've heard is true. Yes. Everything you've heard is true is actually one of my favorite fucking small quotes from the movie. In Hollywood, it's not who you know. It's who you kill. That's the worst one of the bunch. Yeah? Yes. I, I think this one might be my favorite. Number five, best movie ever made by Griffin Mill. Hell yeah. <laughs> I think that was the most meta of all of it. It was just like... I don't you, know what to make of them. That last one, you have to watch the entire movie to understand why he would feel that way. And that's the first thing you see when you look at the posters. Best movie ever made by Griffin Mill. <laughs> yeah, dude, I don't know. When I was looking at the Wikipedia stuff, it looked like Vincent D'Onofrio was going to be the star of this movie. I thought so, too. But he wasn't. He was just the star in my heart. Hey, so this guy, he won some awards, right? 
Oh, really? Oh, because what is a movie about movies that is for movie people other than an Oscar? Mm-hmm. That's what an Oscar is. Well, it didn't win any Oscars, but it did it get nominated. It is an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, it got nominated for Best Picture, Best Writing, and Best Editing, and then it won a slew of fucking uh, of of smaller awards and like film festivals and things like that. It was a it was a big hit with film festivals. This one was a big hit with me, dude. Like I did not. I wanted to watch every second of it. Like a lot of times, I'll look away, I'll run off, I'll get some snacks or whatever. But not yeah. not this time. No, I was. It took me twenty moving. minutes to go get a pen so that I could start taking notes. And then I didn't want to take too many notes. I just wanted to ask questions or like have jokes i think this is definitely gonna be one we're gonna be watching again very soon yeah i would watch it again um i'd have to figure out a good reason to just because we were bored you do that sometimes i do it all the time man i did find a little bit of trivia on this okay that most of the celebrity cameos in this were not actually written into the script they were just people that altman grabbed and were like hey we're friends because they were on the lot you're on the set come do a fucking shot so what you're telling me is that there probably is a thing with Patrick Swayze and that fucking other guy. <laughs> yeah, just just chilling, hanging out. Uh, well, were there fucking doctors or nurses or whatever? I think that they were just on set and. Uh, Why would they just be on set? They dressed him up like this and were just like, oh, we're gonna say we're they're together in a film. Are we sure that there's not like a General Hospital episode or something with Patrick Swayze? Maybe we'll find out. Or you're here for Mash, right? Put on this. I'm here for Mash. Uh, so, Habeas Corpus was an actual film produced or uh, pitched to the screenwriter Michael Tolkien. Like that's he took oh. that idea. That was an actual pitch to him, and he thought it was bullshit. It's so, like put it into the fucking movie. That is very insulting. Do you think he had to pay the writers? I hope he paid the writers. I hope so too. Dude, he uh. He, Altman was actually the person who wrote the love notes. The love notes. Yeah, that's what I would call him. Yeah, the love notes to, to Griffin as well. How did you feel? Was he the guy who provided the voice at the end as well for him? I would assume. I was actually just going to say, how do you feel about that idea that he was the, the voice at the end too? Because the voice was uncredited completely. But he's the god of the movie. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, that is like a whole nother level to the whole thing. I don't even know what that means. You know, like, I feel like a movie that came... It's much more common to attack the critics, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's so much less common to go after the executives. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really interesting thing to do while making a movie that they can't deny. That has another movie that they can't deny written into it. Yeah. I think I think that this was just them making a movie kind of telling on themselves, like, we can get away with murder. We're the film industry. I think that that's the idea. Maybe that, yeah, that is it. We can get away with murder. We can even fire all the writers and not pay anyone. Yeah. Um, however, our hero believes that scripts are worth money. Yeah. Uh, whereas his rival does not believe that. So in that way, he actually is heroic. Yeah, I guess. I guess. It's a very complicated movie, I think, in terms of like ethics. Yeah. I think it's trying to say a lot of things. Do you think it actually succeeds in saying any of it? We'll see, man, because if I'm I'm gonna probably be thinking about it for a while. Yeah. I um, might have to like think it out more, watch it again. And I'm right there with you. 
Hmm. I'm right there with you. I think this is going to be a rewatch and a rewatch and just trying to, you know. Trying to get it all. Wrap my head around it even more. Yeah, because it's not an American psycho. I can take that right off my list. Yeah. Because it all happens. He actually did all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's no, like, what's reality and what's not. We know it's reality. Yeah. And the the movie's talking so much about what's reality and how much we want of reality portrayed in our scripts. And this is reality. Like, this is the dark reality that exists that you want in your script. Mm-hmm. Is, I think, what the movie's saying? I don't know. Very interesting. Dude, I think that the the commentary about how at the end of the film it just told us, like, yeah, we changed this to a happy ending because happy endings are hits. And then we got a happy ending. Like We got two happy endings. Yeah. We got the Bruce Willis happy ending. Yeah. And then we got the in-story happy ending. I, I, it was so fucking good. I think... I think the only thing left is to, to whip out the Swayze scale. I think you're right. Um, I added Road Trip to the list. Dude. Okay, so is this about class stuff? Yes. I think by omitting it almost entirely, the class stuff, it's about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Because they killed the writer, and clearly he is the poor one. Yes. And then it's just a movie about rich people, and they don't explain how his girlfriend has money to survive. Correct. Okay, uh, yes. so I'll give it class stuff. What do you think about patriotism? I don't think there was much patriotism. Like, the only way I think we could possibly argue for it is that film is America's greatest art. I, I don't know. I think that that's one of the only things that this country does right anymore. We do film, weed, and beer. And, like, that, in that way, it's patriotic. But in 1992, that wasn't the case. I mean, it was... Hollywood is our shining star, like shining city on the hill. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think that the film is explicitly patriotic in any way. Yeah. We talked a little bit about feminism. Where do you land on it? I think that this is a feminist movie. I think that it has feminist ideas in it. I'm not sure if it actually is, but I'm okay with giving it because Patrick Swayze's career didn't really take place during a, a good time for feminism. Mm hmm. So really, it's a pretty low bar. Yeah, if there is any feminism in it, it's, it's I'll, I'll, a, a, a check on the positive. I'm willing to give it a thumbs up if it passes the Bechdel test, but all the women like are have no agency. Mm. <laughs> ah, I think they have agency. I just don't think that they were really um, impactful to the story. Well, June's entire subplot, I'm, I'm pretty sure, got cut out. So, of course, it looks like she doesn't have any agency. Mm. I understand that. Uh, what do you think? Of, okay, so I gave it a check for romance. Yeah. Um, just because it did end up getting kind of sexy in the middle. Yeah, we had general nudity. Oh, yep, general nudity. I got that on here. Uh, we um, had a few cool cars. Mm-hmm. I liked the cars. Lots of sick whips. I've got that checked. I've. What about gym? I've got dancing. What mm-hmm. about gymnastics? Oh. Uh, I didn't see any gymnastics, but well, they were talking about like martial arts, yeah, so they, I thought that was kind of adjacent. They they were doing some kicks and stuff like that, so maybe some exercise. We'll put it. Let's put give it a half for gymnastics. Let's just like strike it from the list. Okay, okay, we're taking gymnastics off. The, horses, off the no, no horses. horses. It's in that we can't just take that off the list. Mm-hmm. Sick whips, fighting. There was some fighting. There was some fighting. Dads. No one is a dad in this movie. I don't know. I feel like Brian James is like the studio daddy. Okay. And he was like willing to, uh, you know, hear everybody out. And I feel like he was a positive father figure for the studio. 
There's no actual dads in this movie, though, no. so I'm not comfortable with giving it a check mark. No, I, no, I think X he's mark. the closest thing we could we could get to a dad. Um, while they were at the poli- while he was at the police station, I wrote down "good at job," which is one that I've floated in the past. Whoopi Goldberg is very good at her job. Yes, she is. She is, I think, the only one in the movie who's good at her job. She's uh, a great. Besides Bonnie, too. Bonnie seems good at her job as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, like, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> I feel like that might be a feminist thing. Actually, like, the only two people who are good at their jobs in this movie are women. So where's this one land, man? I don't know. I just wrote it down. I like, I think everybody's pretty good at their job, but like some people's jobs are bullshit. I meant like on the scale. Where's oh, this on land? the Swayze scale. Swayze scale. Well, we've got road trip as well. We've got nudity. Okay, so let me count. Eight out of 11. We've got eight out of 11. This is ranking high, man. This is like. After trimming of, the fat. Yeah, I think eight out of 10. Eight out of ten. Yeah, let's give this an eight out of ten on the Swayze scale. Okay, I think that's fucking. It's it's great. It's strange that it's so Swayze. It's only Dude. because we define these things so broadly. <laughs> well, yeah, we give it lots of leeway. But like, no. we didn't include like knives or uh, the violin <laughs> on this list, and we struck gymnastics because we came to about even. Yeah, yeah. No. But you know, it does have sick whips. It has a road trip. Impromptu, especially. There was nudity. Yeah, yeah. The nudity was sick. Fighting, I, it was tasteful. I think we, I think just having a dong in this definitely gives it an extra point. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's why I'm comfortable giving it 8 out of 10 on the Swayze scale. Swayze. 8 well, out of 10. Mud-covered dongs. Mud-covered dongs. Josh, I feel fucking amazing about this. Hey, the amount of Swayze-ness that this movie has and the amount that we like it are exactly the same. Uh, yeah, this movie. Yeah, everyone, please, please try and watch this. This is a fun one. Like I can't say it's a perfect film. Oh no, no, I wouldn't say it's a perfect film. But after thinking about it more, maybe next time I watch it, I'll give it a four and a half. If I still have a bunch of questions, because mm-hmm. like I didn't think I had any questions at the end, but now that I'm thinking about it, I, I have a bunch of questions. Let's see if we can get them resolved at some point. Yeah, yeah. If you've got some questions about this movie that you'd like to talk to us about, that's a fucking segue. You know, reach out to us. We've got an email. You can you can hit us at SwayzePod at gmail dot com. We're on all the social medias at SwayzePod. Josh is on Letterbox at Josh with CY, and I'm on Letterbox at Vincent Troya. And like, we watch these movies and rate them in real time, so you can keep up with what we're doing. All the fucking time. And it may be the only way that I have social media now. I did get locked out of the Instagram and the Facebook. You, do you want to take over the, the, the show's accounts and do it that way? And that would be the only way I interact with the internet? Yeah, you, you only interact with podcasts because that's the only people I'm following. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't, yeah, that is also my life. <laughs> uh, I did listen to probably 15 different podcast episodes yesterday, at least, maybe 20. So that might be a good way to do it, but you, you're really killing it over on our Instagram. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. Um, but, you know, I would be a little upset if we called this quits for the, for the evening before we took a, took a little detour down to, uh, to Fashion Corner. Oh, wow. Black tie events. Black tie events do these suits the entire time. Fucking he's, Mills, he's wearing the fucking white suit at the black tie event. It's not how you do it. I... I, I don't know. Well, you know, he was the keynote speaker. It was his idea. Yeah. I, did, did he have a full white suit or was it just a white blazer with black pants? I think it was white blazer, white pants with like a black bow tie and a black shirt, but I could be wrong. Oh, that's a little weird. 
Uh-huh. That's what he was wearing the fucking kingpin's outfit from Daredevil. Yeah, I was going to say you usually accent your suit with with the tie, but to It's a black tie event. Yeah. Maybe it was white coat, white shirt, black pants, Cadillac, yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I agree. It could have been black shirt, black tie, white shoes, Cadillac. Yeah. yeah. Boy's a time bomb. Here he comes, that oh. boy. Well, Josh. Till next week. Till next time. There's Swayze adjacent. He couldn't be in everything. Got a scratchy? S-C-A-C-C-H-I. Scratchy? Scratchy? <laughs> That's the Americanized. Let me, let me take a look. I, I'm, I can read upside down. Skasaki? Sasachi? I don't know. Greta Sasachi. <laughs> <laughs> Gunnis the statue. Skiachi. There we go. Skiaki, perhaps. Skiaki. All right.